I'm Echo Eshin, and this is the Cos Catch-Up, a series of conversations between friends about creativity, life and style. I'm a writer and curator. My most recent book is called Africa State of Mind. It's a survey of contemporary African photography featuring over 50 photographers from across the African diaspora. I'm joined right now by Campbell Addy. Campbell, who are you? Hi, thank you for having me. Hello, <laughs> everyone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Campbell Addy. I'm a London-based photographer and filmmaker. And, yeah, I guess that's a really short way to put it. And I'm living my best life as we speak. And that that is the deeper way to put it, I think. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, look, look. Um, I've known you, Campbell, for a while, but it's fair to say that we, we tend to we tend to meet to talk. It's, it's invariably it's some panel discussion, yes. some kind of uh, thing on a stage. So that's it's really good to talk properly here. Um, today yes. we're recording this over the internet uh, as a chance to catch up, to share with you some of our stories from our life and from our work. Um, so look, just let me start. Tell me what have you been up to? Um, in a short answer, I think lately I've been trying to do things I actually really want to do. Like, I think like a lot of us, the last six to nine months has been quite intense, especially if you're black as well, especially this week with the Brianna Taylor situation. And it's kind of just... I'm unable to ignore a lot of things like that. So my response has just been, I have to take control because there is a lack of control elsewhere. So I'm just trying to take control of what I'm doing. So I'm, I've genuinely just been doing work and I thought I wasn't working for a while, but I've been working throughout, but just not in the same way. So I may not have been taking pictures or a film, but I have been working. Okay, there's a lot um, There's a lot to unpack but, in there. Yeah. So what... what Given you describe yourself as a you know photographer, what does working mean if it doesn't necessarily mean taking photos or making films? Well, like I feel like when I actually take the photograph, that's like if you're making a cake, it's putting the icing on. There's all the things you have to weigh out the ingredients, you have to choose the ingredients, you have to mix them, you have to set them like it's all so for me working taking a picture is the last step so things like researching um i've been kind of like looking into areas of art that i would never have naturally looked into like what? so like i've been looking a lot in music like i've actually because before lockdown i just said oh, i really want to do like a 4D six sense photo. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. And just questions, lots of questions. So I've just been looking into sound. I've been looking into music, light and landscape. Like I said, let me get out of the studio. Mm-hmm. Let me get out of man-made construct. Maybe it was the feeling of being locked in one's house that made me do this. Um, but yes, an and organization. So I took the time to level up as an adult Mm -hmm. from, because we work, work, work so much. I realised my actual, like, admin life, which is very imperative for being a businessman, was a shambles. So organised that out. And then I was able to free my mind to kind of just look into other things. And I've been looking at narrative 
in a way. Do, so, talk to me about that. What does what does looking at narrative involve, and what do you see when you do so? So, I think looking at narrative in basic terms is telling a story, and I thought, oh no, I thought I was telling a story um, when when I well no, I have been telling stories as I take photos, but I wanted to delve deeper into really fleshing out and creating characters. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of been looking into moving image, I've been looking into writing, I've been looking into what does it mean to actually tell a story? And then looking within myself and trying to tell my story, um, which has been very difficult because I think a lot of my work up until this point is very performative because, you know, it's the fashion industry and da 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 and it's looks and this. Um, but when it has to come down to just myself, I think I, like most people, shy away from confronting oneself. So kind of trying to tell an honest autobiographical narrative in the next part of my life in the series. Um, and that's included like looking into screenwriting. Like I, look, I, I got the screenplay for Pulp Fiction and Donnie Darker, because I was like, let me just look at it as words and as being very dyslexic i always used to shy away from reading just because why, actually out of interest why why those why those two in particular because donnie darko was the first film i watched what do you mean was the first film you watched campbell first one i watched comma <laughs> that <laughs> that i watched that i i wanted to really understand okay the narrative yeah. Not just, yeah. oh, this is a cool film. To and it was one of the films that I don't think my peers were into at the time. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't something that was shown to me. I generally stumbled across it. Mm -hmm. And then Pulp Fiction, only because it won the Oscar for screenwriting yeah. that year. So I wanted to see, okay, what? And it's interesting to see, like, the use of words is so powerful sometimes. Mm. And I think I lack that, I lack that skill set sometimes. So it's something I want to improve on. I mean, look, that, that, that's, a, that's a broad canvas of things, but I want to focus on one thing for a moment. Your Time yes, magazine okay. cover with oh, wow. Edward Enninfort. <laughs> I feel this is something we should talk about, at least for a moment, because it's a thin. Yes. Tell me about it. Describe <laughs> it to me. It's, it's actually, is it the most recent cover of Time currently? As we um, just um, it's it's just, just before they brought out another one. So it came out like last, I mean, they do one every other week or yeah. something. So it's this most one of the most recent, yeah. And it's um, a, and yeah, let's describe it. It's a cover of Edward Enninfor, Mr. Vogue, Mr. Edward Enninfor. How? It's, just talk to me about that. How did it come about? What were you trying to do with this? So I got asked to shoot the cover, and just being asked to shoot the cover. Period. I was like, "What? Well, okay, this is insane." Yes. And I was, I was like, "Yes, I'll do it." And then they said it was Edward, and I literally, I think, I fell off my chair and just <laughs> screamed for like five minutes. And my agent was like, "What's wrong?" I was like, "This is insane. Like, you don't understand what this means for the culture, for me, and for like, like the little young black boy that like met Edward outside of like Margiela um, years ago is now taking his picture for time." Um, and then I had to snap back out of it and go, okay, how, what do I want to do? And I kind of was just like, I didn't have much time. So I just want to, first thing I did, me and my team researched all of his portraits ever taken. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to just see, because I, when I take portraits of people, and it's not a fashion image, I try and, 
I try and take the picture in a different manner than it's been shot previously. And I realised he has been shot a lot in black and white. So mm. the emphasis was that shooting colour. And then on the day, I wanted to make him as comfortable as possible. He didn't realise it was me that was shooting. Um. And we were all masked up, obviously. And then I was like, hello. He goes, who is it? I was like, it's Campbell. We screamed. He's like, oh my God. This is Because his whole team knew. It was, like, it was going to be a surprise. Um, and even for him, like, I was so... Obviously, we're also like, we think of ourselves when we're working. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, I'm shooting Edward for time. I'm shooting Edward for time. Then as I'm shooting Edward for time, I realised, oh my God, Edward's on time. So I kind of, it was like an out-of-body experience. It's like, it is, this isn't about me. Mm. It's kind of like I'm a vessel just carrying work or doing the work. I was like, Edward is on time. Like, mm. just that, regardless of who took the photo, is mind-boggling. I'm still buffering from it. I haven't actually spoken to anyone about it. Like, Formally, this is the first time I've actually had a conversation about it. Um, I've had like so. What's 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 your feeling having shot that? A, are you pleased with the image? And B, yeah, where does it take you as a person? For me, it's like for portraiture. I think I captured what I think Edward is. Mm -hmm. I see him as a a pillar in a community and someone who's a force to be reckoned with and I think as a photo I'm pleased that that's what's out there and it's gonna sit in history for me it's kind of it's maybe want to level up inside of myself in terms of my own um conviction of the work I can do because a lot of the time we have imposter syndrome and we're worried about what well, I'm worried about oh am I good enough and then I'm like hang on no you've just done this you have mm-hmm. to like there's nothing it's not you know, it's not, it's not the opposite of humility. I'm, I'm humble enough, but also have to understand I have to also own what I do. Yeah, and I, so, I, I, yeah. I, I tend to think that's, you know, that corollary, imposter syndrome, owning what you do, I tend to think both, you know, both of those things are, they're real things, in yeah. as much as it's quite, I've found it quite hard to... I find if I've done something, whatever it is, I feel like, well, it can't be that difficult because you've done it. Do you know? It's got to be a thing. Um, and so, uh, so, and it's easier to do that than it is to say, wow, this is amazing because yeah. I, I don't know how to, not sure what happens if you think in those terms, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I've, I have this huge fear, and I've always had this fear that if I think I'm the bee's knees and I'm doing amazing, that I will come off as pompous or mm. um, I'll come off as arrogant, or I will stop, I don't know, it must be an irrational fear, but, or I will stop reaching for certain things. Mm-hmm. I, I, I yeah. Don't, oh, yeah, I've yeah, done yeah, this yeah. now. So yeah. I kind of just go, okay, cool, we did it. And, like, obviously, like, you go home, you're exhausted, but I'm like, okay, cool, it's but then after I look at the bigger pictures, actually no, this was I could have easily have crumbled under the pressure. I could have easily have you know to govern a set and to take someone's mm. portrait within an hour for something like for anything mm. to capture essence is 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 a hard feat. But yeah, there is a fear that once one day I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm the greatest thing ever. That I won't work as hard or mm. I won't try as hard to always try and do better. Like of course I look at the image I'm at and great. 
I, I love it. But I'm also like, oh, I could have done this, I could have done that. Yeah. So I'm scared that one day I won't say I could have done this. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the ceiling. When I don't think there's a ceiling anyway. Yeah, so. I'm not sure what... Uh, I think about this sometimes. I don't know what arriving looks like. Do you know? Mm. I mean, I'd say arriving looks like shooting the cover of Time magazine for instance but does it feel like you've got to a place no i still feel like the 16 year old boy from new addington <laughs> who's like like it's weird like i had old classmates who i haven't spoken to since i left mm. croydon like oh my god i saw your work with kendall jenner i saw your rolling stone i saw it. and like them saying it i'm like oh, wait hang on i need to be a bit more mindful yeah. but then i'm also like no but i am still yeah I have so much that I want to do. So I don't think I've arrived anywhere yet. I'm still on that journey. So question yeah. then. So who's the 16-year-old from Croydon who's still, you know, who's still you? Who is that? He's like super excitable, gagged at everything he sees. Is <laughs> just like, I want to do this. Like, I feel like I'm a kid at a candy store still. Like, I want to do that, that, that and that. And but also has this, like, I remember standing at the top of my road in Henry's Drive, I could see the gherkin mm-hmm. far in the distance on a clear day. And like, one day I'm gonna be in London, and I'm gonna be doing things and like, and I still feel like, even though I live in central London, I still feel like I'm looking outward to this place that I want to inhabit. Um, not because I haven't done anything, but I feel like, I think a lot of us black artists, people, whatever field we're in, we know our container, like inherently we know it. Mm. Society tries to diminish it for us. And it, I think it takes a lot of mental strength and healing to understand our container is valid. And I think I'm on that journey because there's ambition and then there's society and people in your life kind of knocking that down and it does wear on you. So I'm just, I try and be that 16 year old because he was on. He was, ignorance was bliss. He had not stumbled across, you know, opposition for the things he really wanted. So I try and think in that manner. So then when, if I want to do something and I hear a no, I, it's not personal. So I still, I still want to be that, in that mindset. Well, I mean, I mean, let, let, let's stay there for a moment. So look, I mean, we both come from, you know, families of, you know, we both come from Ghanaian families. Our families are from yes. Ghana. Uh, both grew up in London or outskirts of London and just wondering what the you know how I, I mean I think about this and I've written about this a lot actually and I still haven't really come to an answer how much of our Ghanaian background plays a part in who we are as people in Britain is it a negligible thing is it a significant thing? What do you think? I think for me, it's, I'd say it's, it's around 60% to 40% of who I am. Mm-hmm. Only because my mother was brought, born and raised in England. Mm-hmm. But then I was kind of raised by my grandmother and Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. So my upbringing, as I get older, I realize it's very strange. Because I grew up in England, but then as a kid, I was never known as English. Mm -hmm. Just because my household and my mini community was very, 
it was my family basically. It wasn't really because mm. being a Jehovah's Witness, you weren't necessarily mingling with other people that much. So I had that cultural influence, but then also I am growing up in, in English society. Then when it comes to growing up and doing work, no matter how much I try to not think about it, it's inherently there. It's there in my choices of casting, it's there in, like you can dissect it and you can see it. Mm. And it's even stories that like our family would have told us and it's just stories. Mm. And I'd end up like writing something and then I'll talk to another Ghanaian friend and like, oh yeah, that's Yasan Tawal you're writing about. Mm. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess so. So, but it's, it's inherently there, it's not obviously there because obviously we weren't taught it in an educational sense. Mm. But it's something I want to be the forefront of my existence just because I remember growing up and having to shy away from being Ghanaian and In I which remember, ways? Like things like we had accents. I very mm-hmm. I remember very, very, very clearly being bullied at school because I, I would say phrases and words like my grandmother mm-hmm. and then being like, Well, isn't it how you say it? And then not actually I remember doing English homework and because of that being bullied for English, accents and words. I, I was too scared to go to my mum to ask what does this word mean or just in case you'll tell me an African mm-hmm. word. And then food. I used to get packed lunch at school. My mum would make us like jollof rice or mm-hmm. fufu. And then the kids were like, oh, you smell. So then I was like, no, my mum won't crisp. And she's like, you're not getting crisp. <laughs> you know. So it was like, so there was this juxtaposition of my mum was 100% Ghanaian woman, unashamed. And then I would go into a whole nother society and have to squeeze it down then you get to being a teenager and that's a whole nother issue alone and then oh you're in london you're 18 you've got to go to uni and no one knows where ghana is and you're one of like four black people out of thousands again mm. and everyone's in love with the east and america and and everyone's like, oh, isn't Africa poor? Like, Matt times I heard, isn't Africa poor? I was like, well, yeah. And so is LA. And so is, it's like, you need to, like, it isn't. And then you tell him about things. Like, oh, okay. So, oh, we're going holiday. I'm going to Ghana. He's like, oh, okay. It's like, I don't, why you pause it? I don't get the pause. I don't understand. So it's something that I still struggle with. Mm. I want to, I find it so weird hearing my language on, like, Spotify. Mm. Like, I hear a song on set and I can, oh, my God, that's tree. I'm like... Like, people are like, what do you mean? I'm like, I had to hide away from playing, like, Kodra Antwi and Papa Lumba, Daddy Lumba and stuff because, you know, people want to listen to Britney Spears instead. So, mm. it's, yeah, yeah. I yeah, guess. I mean, I, I, I relate to a lot of that. I mean, I, you know, I grew up, you know, I'm a lot older than you and, you know, growing up in the 70s and the 80s in Britain was it's pretty incredible in terms of how grim the racial dynamics of Britain were, um, especially in the, especially in the seventies, it was an insane period because every single aspect of a racist or a bigoted society was allowed in the mainstream, wasn't questioned, wasn't challenged. TV programs, football in the playground all of you know all of these things were in play all the time and the weird thing is at the time it didn't even feel like 
what it really is, which is a psychic oppression, a psychic violence. It felt like normal life. And so, yeah, and within that, being African was just, yeah. It's a whole other kettle of fish. Exactly, exactly. And it takes it takes a long time to get through that and to own that, I think. And, you know, when I think about it, it's kind of, it's one of, it, it's that, I mean, it sounds grand to say it, but it's one of my life's works. Not to just, not to, I, th- I think fundamentally to, articulate what I feel Africanness and blackness can look like, mm-hmm. can feel like, rather than have someone else say that. 100%. Because coming from you, no matter how obscure or skewed, it will be true. It will be an honest representation. But it's things like young artists like me, we, like, literally, your book came up in conversation the other day. Because we were saying, oh, we want to look at... Have you seen Echo's new book? You have to get it. Whereas in my mind... And I sit there and I smile because I go, do you know what? If I was 20 years older, what would that conversation be with my peers? And it's the thing where it's like, I can't wait to be like 90 years old (laughs) and see the young ones being able to like, look at your books and maybe my books and other people. Um, Like I met with James Barnard the other day and I was just like... Oh, yeah. I'm just shocked. Like, I'm perplexed. Yeah. Sometimes because the history is not that long. Yeah. Like the so this is James Barner, the great Ghanaian photographer. photographer, has been taking photographs since the 1950s, still going strong at 90 odd. Yeah, he's got years ser- old. 91 years old, got a Serpentine Solo show yes. coming up next year. Yeah. So how was that? What was the, what was the, what was the conversation? It took, a, it took a lot to hold back tears. He's from my dad's tribe as well and it was things like I don't know my dad's language and and the one thing I took from it that really like I just I went in there thinking okay he's gonna be this like photographer like photographer photographer and he wasn't (laughs) he takes pictures but he spoke about camaraderie he spoke about wanting to bring joy to his people and to elevate his people and how he fell into photography it wasn't like it was just such it was such a it, like he recharged my batteries for living in a way mm-hmm. because obviously the last nine months has been kind of depressing to be very honest and he was just like do you know what you need to he's like you're one of the first Ghanaian photographers that's come to me and he's like you need to exhibit your work you need to all my doubts are oh should I he goes keep doing it and I was like because even if it's bad because it'll give you another insight and it'll give you mm-hmm. people looking at your work and you'll be able to be you'd be able to be objective about your work in another realm. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, and he was just talking about Ghana and, showed, and we spoke about, like, one thing I learned was everything he took a picture of, he loved. It wasn't, oh, I'm going to take a picture because this will be cool. Or oh, that's he, interesting. He loved. Like, we had this picture of, it was his picture of him as a baby, spitting image of my cousin. And I was like, who's that? And he's like, oh, you know I love babies. And Elsie, I was like, oh yeah, I remember the picture of the baby in the book. Mm. And, and it just there was just a general love and warmth. Everything was from a positive. See, I tell you that that yeah. that that really resonates. It, my my current I don't know it changes, but my current life ambition is to only do the stuff that I'm into, and to yeah. only to only write about, talk about, work on 
the projects and work with the people that I admire. Because there's lots of stuff you can do. Yeah. And it's quite dispiriting to spend a lot of time on projects that aren't close to you. But I don't know, is that, does that, I mean, you, I think what I, look, what I find impressive about you is you always seem to have done your thing from straight out CSM, knee journal. I was just told no so many times. Like I left that 16 year old boy who was, you know, ignorance is bliss, left to go to London, did a foundation, was told you'll never get to CSM, you're not good enough. Then I get into CSM. And then you go to CSM and I was just, you know, I was flying under the radar. And then I was always told you have to do this, this and that. But then they didn't take into consideration who I am mm-hmm. as this person in society. You're telling me to follow a path of someone who isn't black, who has a family behind them. He wasn't the first to go to school. Like, you know, there's a lot of things that were against me. So I remember just leaving and just thinking, do you know what? I'm so unemployable. Mm-hmm. But not in a negative way. I was just like, but the reason why I'm unemployable is because the system isn't made for me. Mm. So I took, I mean, me and my partner was like, do you know what? Take the last bit of your student loan. We ate like reduced to clear for ages. We got really cheap, like little hole in the wall literature. And we just downsized sized our expenses so then I could use my student loan for my final project and I was like do you know what and I made a result if I could take one picture every six months and I could work at like Tesco just to cover my bills and then I'll be fine because in reality there was no I didn't have someone in the fashion photography field to aspire to be that looked like me so I just thought I'd do this quick thing do one issue and then you know I'll maybe like take portraits of people every now and then and slow and then maybe do a book in like 20 years and then but I was I was content with that because I was like I'm blessed to be able to go to school and I'm blessed to be able to take pictures and not really worry um, but it paid off and I think it was at a time that like I say I remember Miss Carrie Stack saying to us it's a very funny interesting place to be we, we all met at this time Mm-hmm. doesn't matter what age, but we all came into contact at this time as if it was ordained, as if it was meant to... Because friends in America were doing things all at the same time. And I think the rise of the internet and social media allowed people like us who wouldn't be able to necessarily get in the door just be seen. And it was just visibility. Like, Tumblr gave me so much visibility. That's what we were on. And it wasn't just our work. It was just our beings. Like, us mm. at parties. It was showing... Black kids at art school being mm. camp as hell. Do you know what I mean? So it was just like we had an outlet that was unfiltered. So then when it came to the professional world, we kind of were like, well, we're already doing this. We're on our new boards. Can mm. you just let me do it anyway? Mm. Um, and it's still hard now. There's times when I'll sit on a call with someone and we'll talk for hours. I'll do a whole treatment that takes weeks and then we'll get on set and they're like, well, can you do this? And I'm like, well, no, because if I wanted to do this, then I would have. And also, like yeah. you said, it's soul draining Yeah. because I didn't get into this because it could make me money. Mm-hmm. There are other fields I can make so much more money quickly, more quickly than what I do now. I mm-hmm. did it because I love it. And it's just like you said, you want to do things you love and it's, and it's, and it's hard having to sit on a project and you don't love it. Not because it's not great, it's just it doesn't suit you. And I find a lot of people feel like they're giving us 
an L. They're giving us a, oh, you know, you should love this. And they're mm. shocked when you don't. And you're like, they're like, oh, why not? I'm like, well, just like you don't love everything, I don't love everything. Mm. But I know, maybe that comes with age. I still think I'm very young. And so it's like, I always get told, oh, you should do this. And I always go, why should I? Yeah, look, I think I actually, I think that's one of the crucial things. Like, you have to meet your expectations, not someone mm. else's. And that's 100%. the that's that's the that's the key thing because, yeah, basically people queue up to either tell you you can't do something or you should do something. Yeah, and the gap in between, which is well, how am I going to? go forward how am i going to decide or i'm going to do this like i I, well okay that's one thing but tell me for you what's still difficult because you've done some work now Mm. you've done some very visible work now you talked before about there's things you want to do and so on but are there way are people still saying no to you yes I I thought about this in depth this summer and it's it's it saddens me because like you say you've done I've done me and a lot of my peers have done us mm. and I feel like there's levels there's levels to this industry so I'll say there's editorial level where you're starting out and shooting editorially mm-hmm. then there's the editorial slash campaign level then mm. you've got the high fashion where the money's at mm. and I feel like we have not reached that level in the sense where we're all creating great work, but I feel as if, I said it the other day, the fashion industry is like a building, the most beautiful modern building with high tech on the outside, but you go inside, everyone's using Morse code still. It's a sense where it's like on the out, outwardly, yes, it's diverse, it's this, but when it comes to the real grittiness of it, the things that really make change, we, are, we still aren't in those spaces. Mm. And I've been fighting for diverse teams because I'm like yeah shooting black models is great but then behind mm. me is a sea of um, you know white people which is fine but the idea is based in blackness it should be you know anything if it's based in indigenous people get the indigenous people to create that work but I feel like the one thing that I think we're not getting to is where the money really is at because obviously there's a whole this whole era of generation of people who have been shooting those things and doing those things and it's slowly we're getting there like Tyler or J.W. Anderson mm. but it's like I can count it on my hands um, so so there's like obviously Tyler at like J.W. Anderson and there's um, like Ibrahim Erdem and there, it is getting there but in the sense where I'm like and like Virgil at Louis Vuitton mm. but we also had Oswald mm. um, at Jorunchi um, back in the day so in my head I'm like we've been there but it's short pockets yeah. and, I've, and it's not just my generation it's as a whole, I want to see, like, I know, I want to see the big names, the C- CFOs, the CCOs, the C... I want that. It's not just mm-hmm. outwardly facing people you can do a press junket with. I want, I want it to be more integral. And I think that's where I think myself and others are still being said no. Because, oh, yeah, I love what you do, but you can't, you know, you can't actually... It's not what they used to say about... Um, black movies oh but you won't sell i yeah. feel like it's the same with imagery oh but it won't sell yeah. or um or they just assume you only want to shoot black people like i'll send a cast oh there's no black people on it i'm like 
do you say this to the other photographers? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, I don't know why they're so shocked. I'm like, my partner's white, my friends are white, I live in England. Uh, you know. Yeah, it turns my, out we know. can live in more than one world and have more than one perspective at the same time. Shocking, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. I think that's the last space. I think it's that. Yeah. But I it's mean, changing. I, I, th- I think the thing I aspire to, I, I feel like the space for me and the space that I admire other people in is a space where uh, people assert themselves as artists, which is to say people assert their personal, their personal vision, their personal mm-hmm. uh, perspective on the world, and they articulate that through what they do, through how they speak, sometimes through how they carry themselves, mm-hmm. sometimes through how they dress, how they walk, all of these things. These are the things that, that, that fundamentally excite me because uh, that's personally inspiring, but also I think that starts to change the culture and the complexion and the character and the identity of the world we live in. You know, what I'm excited about is how we... I hope this doesn't sound hubristic because it's not supposed to. I'm excited about the ways that we, in small individual ways, can change what Britain is. Yeah. You know, so that actually it's not even so that the dynamic of a conversation shifts. Not necessarily that you get invited to do the jobs that have all the money, but that the conversations you have are different yeah. conversations. You know? But, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think if those conversations change, it's like a domino effect. It will. It will ultimately lead to those things. Yeah. But it's having those conversations. People are shocked when... I know, do people are just shocked, like you said, when we can inhabit different lives and spaces? They're like, oh, yeah. I'm like... But if you have this conversation and you just... If you had these conversations throughout your life, you wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. So it's just yeah. things like... I know. But you're right. I think it's... I think that's why... It's like, I think that's why I drew... I got fell in love with fashion, similar to how you say about artists. I remember mm. like being obsessed with um, John Galliano and mm-hmm. watching a South Bank show and just seeing him live that experience unapologetically. Mm. I was like, oh my God, I want to do that. I, mm. want to, I want to be part of whatever that energy is. And I think... That's, yeah, yeah, I could, yeah. I think, I, you know, I, if I think back, I think about Prince... Yes. But I also think about David Hammonds or Fair. Sun Ra or Fair. these people who who make their own space, who are nothing but themselves, even yes. if that themselves is a performance, even if you're Sun Ra and you insist that you were born on Saturn or something, but even then you're yeah. still being this, well, come back way to the beginning of our conversation, you're still being the best version of you. Exactly. Well, the most extraordinary version of you. It's just fabulously, and, yeah. unapologetically you. Whether yeah. that you is m- manufactured for us. Yeah, exactly. You know. Well, I, so, I mean, I, I, listen to, I listen to a lot of... If you listen to a lot of... Um, well, actually, lots of anything, lots of hip-hop. But if you listen to lots of um, um, uh, free jazz from the 70s, mm-hmm. they're always talking about all these people... Sun Ra, Alice Coltrane, Ferris Sanders, Don Cherry, um, Archie Shepp, they're always talking about freedom. Mm. They're always talking about freedom and liberation. Almost every song basically comes down to that. And I'm, belatedly I've realised why. Because there is no other place. 
that's the goal. Yeah. The goal is to get to that place where you're free to be. Do you think there means. is? Do you think there is a destination called freedom? <laughs> Look, you can only you can only try and get to. Like, you know, whatever we call it, freedom, autonomy, mm. liberation, this thing where you're not defined by metaphorical or historical or very real shackles, very real things that we know hold us back, that put a foot on our neck, that put yeah. a knee on our neck, that, knee want, yeah, that want to deny us our humanity. The space that is beyond that, However it's articulated, in modest ways or extravagant ways or fabulous mm. ways or quiet ways, free, free, freedom. Yeah, just freedom, freedom to be. So, exactly, exactly. That's why they made the yeah. songs about it, man. That's, you know, and, I, and in this weird, strange last six-month period with everything that's happened, that's actually what I get slightly teary about, this idea that, can you be in a place where you create stuff or you share stuff or do whatever that is about that comes from a place that isn't about having to get through these things to get through all the hurdles all the different stuff can you be in a place that's just about saying oh let's do this you know let's be this you know let's let's have that space (sighs) this is what i dream about but I think it's attainable. I I see a shift. Just like every person I've spoken to, the the consensus is I'm just doing what I want to do. Yeah. From six months ago, we all had these plans. Like, okay, need to get do you know, it's just it's just we're in the rat race. We were we were in that the spinning wheel of doom, I call mm-hmm. it. Because they'll just tie you out and then you'll fall off and someone else will mm-hmm. jump on. Whereas now we're kind of like, you know, I'm gonna take myself off this, pause for a bit and just but what do I really want to do? Because I remember saying to my friends, one of my friends said, if COVID doesn't kill me, the government will kill me. If the government doesn't kill me, the jobs will kill me. So I'm, but then it's like the only thing I can control is me being, just me being, period. Yeah. So yeah. it's a space yeah. where, but I can see it changing because it's things like, I don't know, people just talk, I think there's a lot of sadness, but there's also a lot of optimism because when, when you hit rock bottom, the only way is up. And I feel that we've been shook as a community around the world at the same time. It was almost like a strategic chess move. Where mm. it's like, everyone needs to see this now. Mm. And I know I'm still unpacking what's happened. I say it's going to take years before we actually see visible change. Yeah. But in the best way possible. I don't want instant change because I don't trust instant, quick. I don't trust stuff like that. I want to see gradual is last long will last longer and will benefit us as a community. And I mean every human being more than just oh let's quickly do this, this, and that because that's not real. It's just like if you learn a new skill, it doesn't take a day for you to be you know fluent in a new language. It takes time. You have to. If I want to learn Japanese, I can read a book, I can do the online thing, but I have to go to Japan, I have to marinate myself in that community. And I feel like if people really want change, they need to marinate themselves in the space that they want to see come to light. So so a lot of people, oh, let's do these shoots. I'm like, yeah, but 
that's still the same um, manoeuvre, there's still the same problem solving as I call it before COVID and after COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like before COVID, yeah, well, do you shoot, do you do this? I'm like, no, why don't you visit communities? Why don't you invest in spaces? I even like having talking to people outside of um, like online and presence, like behind the cameras, I guess, saying we need to be able to monopolize and be very transparent and honest. No cancel culture, not like we need to have those conversations whether they're horrible and painful or not, just so we know where we're at. Because I think a lot of things I was shocked about was, I was kind of like, um, had the wall over my eyes. So, last, last question. What's left, what's the, what's the one next thing you want to do? I really want to, I want to put my story out there. I don't know what medium that will be, just because 16-year-old me in Croydon didn't have something to look at that he could truly see himself in. I just want a mirror out there for other young black kids that come from my background. And I want it to be in areas that they don't have to try hard to find. I want it to be accessible to them, even to the point where they don't even know that they're getting that information. Mm. I just want it to be, and that's, for me, that's the next step. I feel like I've been slowly putting myself, like little nuggets, but I truly want to be like, this is, and this may take my whole lifetime. I don't know how long it'll take, but I want, I think that's the journey I'm on now, is to put that experience out there. Just because, I don't know, like, I look at history, the thing that inspires me is people's truth. Like, I, I listen to more interviews about people than their songs or their work, just so I can really get into their heads. Mm. I want, so those things are up there. Um, yeah. Okay. That's next let's, let's get to the truth, man. Let's, let's do that. <laughs> let's let's get do that. To it. Truth equals freedom, I guess. <laughs> This was the Cos Catch Up with me, Echo Eshin and Campbell Addy. Hit subscribe in your podcast app if you'd like to hear more and head to cosstores.com to join the conversation online. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, Campbell. No, thank, thank you, you all for listening. <laughs> thank you.